right, well, uh, this is week number five of our summer in the Psalms, and so uh, really, really enjoying this series for me personally going through the Psalms, and I uh, hope, hope you are as well. Uh, just to kind of give you a, a little bit of a refresher, I've been out from preaching for the past two weeks due to vacation and whatnot, um, so thank you to, to Ryan and to Dan who uh, uh, preached some great Psalms for you guys. I hope it was a blessing to you, it was to me, um, but I, I do want to say... Um, uh, just by way of refresher, give you a little bit of an update on, uh, on uh, the Psalms. I, I gave you some of this content our very first time through the Psalms. I want to give you a little more of it. Uh, remember that the Psalms are a collection of 150 songs uh, written by a variety of people of uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, they really span hundreds of years, dating all the way back to Moses in Psalm 90, moving then a few hundred years later into David and into Solomon. Uh, David himself is credited with 73 of the Psalms. You even get into the, the post-exilic period when the, the people of Israel were taken captive by Babylon and then brought back into Israel because you, you read in uh, Psalm 137 um, that they're reflecting back on their, their captivity in Babylon, praising God where they're at now. And uh, so you just see this big span of, of time that the Psalms really uh, cross. Uh, the Psalms then probably would have been collected shortly after the return uh, from, from Babylon, and they were used uh, by the people of Israel to really resonate like we're doing today with some of the psalm writers and some of their emotions, some of their convictions, and really to resonate uh, with those songs and to put them on repeat in their lives. And uh, we get to do that as well uh, tonight. They were viewed as scripture by Jesus himself. You, you look in uh, Luke chapter 24, he speaks of the law and the prophets and the writings or the psalms. And so uh, we know that even Jesus used the same books here that we're reading, uh, the Psalms, as, as Scripture himself. And so what we get to do as we, we go through the Psalms is really uh, kind of resonate again with, with some of the emotions and the array of responses and life situations of, of the, the writers. They reflect all kinds of things. They reflect uh, rejoicing. They reflect sorrow. They reflect uh, just a pleading with God to come and rescue them. They reflect thankfulness. They reflect pain, and on and on and on and on, and, and we can really relate with those ourselves. Uh, they were deeply personal for the songwriters, uh, written by real people and real situations, um, but we now can, can play them in our lives. We can now sing them and, and read them uh, and relate with them in our real life situations, and uh, tonight's psalm is really no different, um, Psalm 139. And so here's Here's, I guess, where I want to begin with Psalm 139 is I want to begin with a question, if I can. Uh, I want to ask you a question, a very broad question, and the question is, is this. What situation do you find yourself in today? Like I said, very, very broad, and maybe all kinds of responses come to your mind, uh, but I want you to get real specific. What, what situation do you find yourself in today? Maybe for you there's some kind of obstacle in your life that you're up against and it requires a a lot of faith. Uh, Maybe for you there's some kind of trial that you're in the middle of. Maybe for you there's confusion and and things are a little bit foggy. Um, I don't know, maybe for for you you're you're in pain, you're hurting for uh, some reason or another. Maybe for you it's kind of a mix of all of these uh, things. Maybe there's this particular sin issue that you find yourself struggling with. Maybe for you, you just say, hey, things are, things are going well right now. Things seem to be, you know, really great, and I praise God for that, and that's, 
It's a sign of his grace. But I want you to get specific and, and think a little bit about just kind of where you find yourself uh, tonight, uh, your, your life situation. And I'll say this, wherever you're at or whatever it is that you're, you're up against, or, or even really wherever you'll find yourself to be uh, someday, the, the truths of, of Psalm 139 really uh, speak into it. And, and so look at verse 1. Verse 1 is, is basically the, the thesis statement, and it sums up the entire psalm in, in one verse. And so let's, let's read Psalm 39, verse 1. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. So there it is. That's the thesis statement right there, that God knows. Whatever situation you're in right now, whatever came to mind, or whatever is coming to mind as we go throughout the course of uh, this, this passage, God knows. He says that, that, that you have searched me and you have known me. God knows. And now fast forward with me to uh, the end of the psalm, and let's listen to the closing statement. Uh, we kind of get a bookend here. Uh, look at 23 and 24. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And so, verse 1, notice this. It's interesting. Verse 1, he says, O Lord, you, you have searched me and known me. And then, at the very end here, in verse 23, he says, Search me and, and know my heart. And so, Verse 1, God knows. It's, it's a fact. He is all up in our business, and, and he knows. And then verse 23, David says, God, keep searching me. I want you to continue to know. Because based on David's experience, he, he wants God to know him deeply. He, he understands that it's, it's, it's great that God knows him, him deeply. And so really what we can kind of gather from the opening statement and the, the closing statement, what we can gather from the bookends uh, of this psalm is, is that God knows, and it's a good thing, that, that God knows your situation, and it's a good thing uh, that, that God knows. I want you to think about just some authorities over, over your own life. Um, a lot of times when an authority in your life knows something, whatever that is, a lot of times we don't really see that as a good thing. You know, like when your boss knows the reason you really called in sick. It might not necessarily be a good thing. Or, or when the professor uh, knows how much you really comprehend of the material, right? Uh, it's not necessarily a good thing. Um, or maybe, you know, you can think back to childhood when, uh, you know, what a parent really knows about what you were up to. I was thinking uh, today about uh, when I was a senior in high school, um, my buddies and I, we had a little camp out, a little camping trip, and um, a big uh, a part of our kind of in our area where we went to school, a big part of the, the tradition was the senior class would always spray paint on the road right in front of the school, real big class of, and then, you know, whatever year. And uh, so we had this, this camping trip, and that was kind of our plan, is we're going to, you know, carry on the tradition uh, for our camping trip. Now, uh, I think the statute of limitations has uh, kind of been reached, so I, I can confess tonight that I was a part of that vandalism. But, um, yeah, so I apologize for that. But uh, we, we were really, really so proud of ourselves that we did this on that camping trip that we you know, carried on the tradition that we then went and took the spray paint and we, we sprayed our initials all around our beautiful artwork. And we just thought it was better than any other year. And so we sprayed our initials around it, just kind of prideful about it. And uh, I remember the next day I got home and um, I got home, my mother said, so uh, 
Joshua, that's what she calls me. Joshua, do you have a, you have a good, good little camping trip there? I was like, oh yeah, Ma, it was, it was, a, it was a great trip. And she's like, uh, you, you had fun? Yeah, yeah, Ma, it was, it was fun. And she said something along the lines of, uh, so Joshua, you're not going to believe this, but somebody spray painted the road in front of the school. I drove by the school this morning. I'm like, really? Yeah. And uh, you know what's even crazier, Joshua, is that on the road, there's a J and a W. Aren't, those are, are, those, are those your initials? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, they're my initials, Mom. Uh, see, Mom knew, and as far as I knew, that authority in my life, she knew what was up, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a, a good thing. Yet, here for David, um, God, the ultimate authority, knows, and according to David, it, it, it's a really good thing. He's, he's, throughout this whole psalm, just talking about, God, you know, you know. You know, and he's delighting in the fact uh, that, that God knows. Uh, I mean, look at, look at verse 17. Verse, verse 17, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How precious to me are your, your thoughts, O God. So he, he finds it precious that God has these thoughts. He knows. He's, he, he knows all of, of who David is and what he's done, and, which is kind of crazy if you think on David's history that he was... Uh, an immoral guy who was an adulterer. He, he slept with another man's wife and then had that man killed in, in battle. And yet he's saying, it's a great thing, God, that you know everything uh, about me. I delight in that. And it's so good that, that at the end of the psalm, he says, search me, God. Keep, keep looking in my heart. Keep searching me. I'm glad that, that you know. And uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't David saying, God, stay out of my business. Leave me alone. It was... You know me, and that's a good thing, kind of like it is with, with love. You ever had that, that special someone in your life, some of you do right now, and they know you and they love you uh, despite all the ugly things about you, and as you get married, you learn more and more, at least Becky has about me. Uh, they, they, they know you and they love you, and, and see, God knows you. He still loves you, and he, he still is pursuing you, which is so, so incredible, which kind of brings me back to to verse 1 again, if you want to look there. Uh, I want, I want you, as we read through verses 1 through 6, I want you to notice that God's love is a, a pursuing love. He, he's pursuing David. He's pursuing us. And so let's read it. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And so God's knowledge of us is a, is a pursuing knowledge. It's not this kind of knowledge where it's like, oh, yeah, of course, he knows all things. He's God. He just, yeah, he knows everything about me kind of knowledge. No, it's a a pursuing knowledge. Verse 1, look at it. He's searching you. Verse 2, he's discerning you. He's he's studying you. Verse 3, again, he's searching you. And he's acquainting himself with all of your ways. He's he's learning the ins and outs of all that you you do. Verse 4, he he knows you so well that he knows what you're going to say even before the words on your, your, your tongue. Some of you have somebody real close with you in your life, and they know what you're going to say before you even say it. They're just that close, and they can, they can, they can get it out before you even say it. Uh, look at uh, 
verse 4, he knows what you're going to say. Even back in verse 2, even before that, he knows your thoughts. Verse 5, he hems us in uh, behind and, and before. He has laid his hands on us, his hand on us. So understand that he's not this kind of hands-off God, like, yeah, yeah, I know everything about them. But he's a very, very much hands-on God who has searched us and he really knows us. He knows our, our every activity. He knows our words. Even before that, he knows even our thought life. And for some of us, maybe that's a little bit scary. But for David, he's saying that's a good thing. And he's in, he's in awe of that. He goes on, verse 6, he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He's saying, wow, this is, this is crazy that God knows all this about me and about everybody and it's so beyond me and it's too wonderful. In other words, it's it's impossible for me to completely comprehend God's knowledge of me and I I can't attain it. This is just beyond me. Now, I want to take a minute to maybe just address something that I've seen among Christians over my, the course of my, my ministry, and, and I think it's a, an appropriate thing to do in this time because this verse is a verse that I've seen misused many times. And so I want to, hopefully through talking about this for a minute here, just give us a little bit of a, a balanced uh, approach. And in verse 6, notice we have the powerful, prestigious, honorable King David admitting, I cannot understand everything about God. He's saying, I can't understand everything about God. I don't understand his thought. It's just beyond me. And David's humility here for us is a really great example that we cannot have God completely figured out. And that's a good thing, that that we in our, our finite selves cannot fully comprehend God. What it does is a good thing. It keeps us humble. It keeps us in awe of him. And it keeps us really dependent upon him. But here's, here's where I want to make just maybe some clarifications. I really want us to, to hear this because I don't want to have a, a misbalanced view of, of verse 6 and misuse it as many people have. That, listen, though God is incomprehensible, completely incomprehensible, he has revealed much about himself to us. He has revealed to us a whole lot of information uh, about himself and he's given it to us he's revealed it to us through his word uh, the bible and because he's revealed it to us in his word that has been recorded and and preserved through history and given it to us that means that he wants us to know some things about himself and and, and i say this uh, even just ryan and i were talking about this the other day that that just recently a very popular pastor in, in our country just kind of in the middle of a sermon went on this big long rant about some doctrinal issues and he said a phrase over and over and over and over again that i've heard a lot of people say and they like to use this verse uh, to support it and they say you can't put god in a box you can't put god in a box the pastor said it over and over you can't put god in a box i've probably even said that before can't put God in a box. And, and he, would, he would say this, and this is the kind of thing we can say and get people juiced up. And yeah, you're right. You can't put God in the box. You can't, you can't do that. But, but I want you to, to, to understand that it is, not, it is not putting God in a box when we declare as truth what God has revealed to us about himself. You understand that? That's very important. 
When, when God tells us, this is who I am, this is what I am like, this is what I do, and we declare that as authoritative truth because he has revealed it to us about himself, that's not putting God in a box. That's saying this is who God said he is. You get it? That's really, really important. Really, really important. And so when God tells us, here's who I am, and we say, here's who God is. Here's my conviction. Here's my belief. Because that's who he said he was. That's not putting God in a box. That's saying, I believe God. And I believe his self-disclosure. I I believe that. And this is how a lot of false doctrines will uh, arise. Because many well-meaning people will say, don't put God in a box. Don't do it. Don't, Don't put him in a box. Which leads people to replacing what God has already told us about himself with their own ideas that they have conceived in their minds. Because I don't want to put God in a box, but then what they naturally do is they have to identify God as something, and so they replace him with their own uh, conceived ideas. Many times, ideas that are a little bit easier to swallow than ideas that God has revealed to us about himself. Because we don't want to say that God elects, even though he says, I elect, because that would be putting God in a box. We don't want to say that God is sovereign, even though God says, I am completely sovereign, because that would be putting God in a box. We don't want to say that God is is fully aware of all the things that are happening on this world, because that would be putting God in a box. We We don't want to say that God is a God of, there's wrath in him against sin. We don't want to say that, because in our minds that would be putting God in a box, but he's told us that. And so what people do is, we won't say these things, And by not saying these things, they, in their minds, replace it with things that aren't even in Scripture because they don't want to put God in a box. And oftentimes, many well-meaning Christians will also, in the name of not putting God in a box, have no convictions whatsoever about God and, and who He is and therefore agree with everything that people say about who God is and therefore really believing nothing, right? And so when God says, here's who I am, that's, that's who he is, and we need to have that conviction. And I say all of this to keep us balanced. I say all this because I don't want us to have verse 6 and, and, and you know, misuse it and say, well, we can't fully comprehend God, and so we, we just don't know about everything. No, there are some things we do know because he's told us these things about him, himself. We can know him. He's good, and he knows us, and, and that's very, very good. Now, I needed to, to cover that because I didn't want verse 6 to be misabused or misused. Um, now, for the remainder of our passage, here's what I want to do. I want to work out the implications of the fact that God knows us, right? The psalm is all about God knows us. God knows us. He knows everything. And so I want to work out some implications. In other words, since God knows me, then what, right? Since God knows me, then, then what? And I think what this will, will really do is it will, it will highlight why it's just so important that we understand that, that God knows us. Uh, because Here's, here's the bottom line for, for today, and uh, this is what I want you to really leave with, is that knowledge, our knowledge of, of God's knowledge is essential for your journey. Let me say that again. Knowledge of God's knowledge is essential for your journey. And I want us to always kind of think of our Christian life as a journey, right? Our Christian life is not something we just become a Christian, we have a ride, we're good. 
No, our Christian life is a journey. That's why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's something we're, we're constantly working through. We can know that we know that we know that we are right with God. We are saved. We are heaven bound. However, we work it out. It's this continual, God, search me, know me, work in me. I, I'm growing and, and trying to be more Christ-like. And so see your, your Christian walk as, as a, a journey. That's why Paul will use words like, walk, or run, or the race, or the course marked out for you, right? Because the Christian life is this long, pressing on uh, journey. And what you'll find, and many of you have already found, is that throughout your Christian journey, there are all kinds of seasons uh, and, and situations along the way that you'll, you'll find yourself in. Um, and so, uh, back to our uh, opening question, thinking through seasons and situation, what's the situation that you find yourself in right now? Um, it's a trial, maybe it's um, an obstacle, maybe it's uh, some confusion that you're in, maybe it's some pain that you're in, maybe it's some, some sin that you're in, uh, you feel stuck, or maybe you're at least struggling with it. And understand that, that God's knowledge of us and your understanding of God's knowledge of us uh, is essential for whatever season and situation that you find your, yourself in. It is essential for you to know that. So four implications uh, to God's knowledge. Um, implications that I think you can um, apply in the midst of your various situations. If God knows me, then what? So here's the first one. Uh, Since God knows me, I am accountable. Since God knows me, I'm accountable. Look at verses 7 through 12 with me. We'll read them here. It says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take uh, the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and light be about me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So here what David is doing is he's kind of illustrating for us that, that nowhere, nowhere can we run where we are unexposed to God. We are always exposed to God. He sees everything. Look at verse 7. David uses that word flee. He says, where shall I, where shall I flee from your presence? That word flee kind of insinuates guilty, right? Insinuates guilt. And, and, and listen, there's nowhere I can flee from God's presence. He is never um, unaware of our sin. He's always aware of our sin. David's saying, I cannot run from you. God, you see everything. You see everything I do, everything I've done. You, you see it all, right? I love how back in verse 3, as we highlighted earlier, earlier, that he says he's acquainted with all of our ways. He knows all of our ways. That God knows every step. He knows every thought. We cannot flee uh, from God. And then what he does in verses 8 and 9 is he, he uses two pairs of extremes. These are kind of interesting uh, to describe um, just how we cannot, we cannot flee from God. He, he, he says, heaven or hell or Sheol, we, we can't go there to flee from the presence of God. Um, he says, uh, wings of the morning or the uttermost parts of the sea. Uh, he, here's what he's doing here. He's, he's comparing the east and, and the west. He's, he's comparing um, the, the east where the, the, the sun rises to uh, the west or the west of Israel, uh, the Mediterranean Sea where, where the sun goes down and all the way going into the sea. He's kind of painting this picture of, 
high and low and east and west. There's nowhere that you can go uh, to flee from God. It's all seen, all seen by God. And if it's all seen by God, we are always completely, we are accountable for our sin. And then look at verses 11 and 12. He talks about darkness. He says darkness isn't dark to God, right? That's why we want to get things into the light willingly before God brings them into the light. We need to confess our sins before God uh, exposes our sin. Man, it just breaks my heart. I feel like time and time again I'm hearing stories and catching word of this pastor, somebody that I thought was just a great man of God, and next thing I know I find out cheated on his wife. He's thinking, I'm going to hide this in the darkness. Nobody will know. No, God brings these things, brings them to light. He says, you think you can hide it in darkness? You think you can do these things in hotel rooms? You think you can just be awake? No, he says, God sees it all. Passage of Scripture we all need to, really need to understand. And here is Hebrews 4.13 says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed uh, in the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We are completely naked and exposed before God, and we must give an account. So that everything that we do, we're accountable for. And so, when you live your life, or even, even your own thought life, remember, it's all, all seen uh, by God. So that means every show that you watch, every page that you scroll on the internet, every dollar that you spend, every piece of your income that you account for or don't account for when you're doing your, your taxes, men, every single girl that you look up and down, women, every word of gossip that you utter, God knows every single, every single bit of it. It's all naked and exposed to him, and we're there, therefore accountable for it. And I say all of this because I really hope that our knowledge of his knowledge of all of these things will really stir us towards a desire to grow in holiness, to grow in holiness. And and we seek to live lives of holiness not out of uh, an idea that that will earn us God's favor, but we want to live a life of holiness out of gratitude for the favor that we have, not because we earned it, but the favor that we have because of Christ and our trust and faith in, in Christ, our desire to honor him. And so he sees it all. We're accountable for it all. And so let's, let's step it up and, and, and let just our knowledge of his knowledge, of our actions and our thoughts and our words, everything, um, really lead us to greater holiness. Now, I do, however, want to point out the tone here of this song. The, the, the tone of this song is not dark. The tone of this song is, is not uh, negative. It's not a guilty tone. Um, it's, it's not a tone that reflects in any way David having a desire to be independent of God. Like, oh God, you know everything about me. I just want to, uh. No, it's actually a tone that, that David is comforted by the fact that he's accountable to God. He's comforted by the fact that God knows all and, and God sees all. David says, that's great. It's a good thing. I'm comforted by that. Going back to when I was in high school, Back then, it was a bummer that my mom knew what I had, had done with some of my buddies. But now I think on it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm really glad that, it, that I had a mom who wanted to know where I was and did some little you know, investigation to, to figure out where I, I, I was. And even though I was busted with my law breaking, I'm, I'm really kind of grateful for how it shows me 
her love that she's involved. She's looking out for me. And understand that, that God loves you and God's looking out for you. And, and you're accountable for these things. But understand that, that God's seeing these things. He's observing these things. And he's pleading with you not to, to, to go astray from him because he loves you. And he knows that his ways are best for you. And that the, these roads that, that are broad, uh, as he says in, in, Jesus says in Matthew 5, they lead to destruction. And so he, he's doing this because of love for you. And, and David understands that, even though he's messed up big time, that I'm accountable, but it's a, it's a really, really good thing. Some of you guys, um, I know a lot of you guys in this, this room tonight have what we call accountability partners. That's a good thing, right? I'm accountable to somebody. They're going to ask me the hard questions. What are you doing? What are you looking at? What are you, what's going on? How's your marriage? How's your family? You're accountable, but it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. There's protection in that. And, and David, David sees that because God wants to keep him from, from what's harmful for him. So since God knows me, I'm accountable. Here's the next one. The next implication of God's knowledge is that since God knows me, I'm valuable. Pretty cool. Since God knows me, I'm, I'm valuable. Some of you guys can think back on your, your uh, well, let's call them uh, love interests of the past. And uh, I've heard some stories like this in the past where you, you get all nervous, and then you finally go up to that person that you're interested in, and you're ready to introduce yourself, and they say, Josh, right? Fill in your name, right? And they knew your name, right? And you're just completely, utterly flat. They know you. They know me. That's, that, that's so, so cool, right? And we get flattered by that. But don't be, don't be flattered by the insignificant. I got one better for you. God knows you. God knows your name. Be, that, be flattered uh, by, by that. Uh, look at verses 13 through 16 with me. It says, For you formed my inward parts. Uh, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was uh, none of them. And so, you are valued by God, that God, he, he so knows you that he was intricately uh, forming you and putting you together um, since before um, your, your birth. And so, what that means, um, some of you need to hear this, is that every physical characteristic that you hate about yourself, that, that you personally see as a flaw, God sees as no accident at, at, at all. By the way, who told you that was a flaw? It wasn't this book. It was probably another book, right? People Magazine, right? What you see as a flaw, God says, that wasn't an accident at all. And, and we get the wrong standard for, for uh, physical uh, appearance. It's, it's coming from the wrong book. God says, there's no mistakes. I make, I make no mistakes. I, I was personally creating you to look the way you, you look. It's funny, I, I read back through... Um, some of the Song of Solomon, and you read through the Song of Solomon, and you listen to, to, to Solomon describing some of the physical characteristics of, of the woman that he's, he's speaking of here. And he's saying some physical characteristics that in today's economy, not very flattering. But to then, it, what, what it goes to show us is that physical characteristics and what we value as attractive, it changes throughout history. 
Well, we shouldn't worry about it. What we worry about is, 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 is the fact that God says, I have made you to look the way you look with these characteristics, with these uh, personality traits, and it's, it's on purpose. It's on purpose. It, it, it's no mistake at, at all. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you can even think about people with, with physical handicaps. Maybe a child born with Down syndrome or someone who's born blind or are deaf, and if we really believe this, these verses apply to them as well, that these are not genetic defects. These are not um, physical defects. These are um, features, right? These are things that God has done and allowed to happen that make this person uh, unique. It's kind of all in your perspective, isn't it? Because of these things that maybe the world would call defects, they maybe are stronger in areas that we're not stronger in. And, and I wouldn't consider them defects, but maybe things that make them unique because God makes no uh, mistakes. And understand that even though people with physical handicaps have really big challenges that, that, that come their way, those, those things that are challenges for them also pose great opportunities for them and for us to rally around them and to serve, and it brings out good in many ways. And so understand that, that God makes no mistakes. And, and this, this passage here is also one that uh, we, we can use and many Christians have used and, and read to, to see that it really kind of is indicative of when human life begins, that, that we see abortion as, as murder because God is deeply involved even in the mother's womb. So it doesn't just become a human when, when the child is out of the mother's womb, but it's a, it's a human, it's a child. God is weaving this child together and forming this child even in, in the, the womb. And so understand that even those, those, those children are valuable. And so there's mass, mass murder taking place in our, our country uh, today because we see them not as, as human. I'd say another thing for us Christians is that I'm fully aware that many people that are in your life see your views as a Christian as archaic. Fully aware that there are many people in, in our lives that think because of our convictions we're just complete jerks. I'll say two things. One, don't be a jerk. But then two, I'll say this. Even if you try not to be a jerk, many people are going to think you're a jerk if you're, you're really standing up for for Jesus, that's often out of your control. But I want you to understand this, that your value is not based on what they think of you. Your, ba- your value is based on not their opinion, but on God's opinion. He says, I made you, everything about you, it's on purpose. It's on purpose. Now, we come into this world tainted by sin, and so there are things that we say and things that we do that are a result of our, our sin. But if God's forming us and fashioning us in the mother's womb, then... He's created us the way we are on purpose. And so there's value, great value in that. And God's saying, from the very beginning, I have a plan for you. You're valuable. You're valuable. And so don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Since God knows me, I'm valuable. Here's the next implication. Since God knows me, I am protected. Since God knows me, I'm protected. Look at 17 and 18 if we can. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. So as we saw earlier, David is completely just delighting, delighting in God's knowledge of him. This is a great thing. God 
God knows me. Notice the second half of verse 18. He says, I awake and I am still with you. I awake and you're still right there looking at me, knowing me, and and loving me even, even still. See, David's reminded that every single day he's on the mind of God. He's reminded that he is every single day under the watchful care of, of his Lord. Does that mean, by saying he's protected, does that mean that he's going to be completely free of harm and, and, and challenge and danger? No, absolutely not. I go through this verse all the time with you. I want you to know it, and you should have it memorized by now. Uh, but, but Jesus says, John sixteen thirty three that in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the promise there is, it's going to be hard. Don't let anybody tell you it's not going to be hard because you're a Christian, because you're protected by God. doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard. It's going to be tough in, in this world at, at times, but Jesus has overcome the world. We can take heart that he is still in control, that we are ultimately under his protection, and whatever's happening, whatever it is you're up against, is for his glory and for, for our good. We're still under his uh, care. That's why uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 9 will say, I'm struck down but I'm not destroyed. We can be struck down, but, but, but not destroyed. Understand that, that we're protected, that there is uh, no danger, no intruder that's going to come our way that God uh, doesn't see. Uh, my wife and I have this, this college buddy who um, is kind of a, a funny guy in college, and now he's um, a Secret Service agent to uh, our, our surprise. And uh, he lives now in, uh, in D.C., and uh, so I see his father more than I see him. And uh, last time I saw his father, his, his father said, yeah, yeah, he's out on the golf course with the president today. And I'm like, no way, that's so cool. He's hanging out with the president on the golf course today. And, uh, you know, naturally, as a Secret Service agent, because of the close contact uh, with the president, he's going to know things about the president that we'll never know, right? He's going to probably know some things about the president that are unflattering even. Now, he's sworn to secrecy, so we'll, we'll never know. Uh, but listen, that, that closeness to the president is necessary for his uh, protection. Isn't that true with us and God? That, that God knows things about us that nobody knows. God is so intimate with us. He's so close uh, to us. And as a result of that, there's great protection in that. So, so for David, it's not like, oh no, he knows all this. It's, this is a great thing that God knows me, even all the junk that I've done, even the, the flaws that's still in my life. God, God knows me, and, and there's protection uh, from that. As, as Dan talked uh, last week in Psalm 46, verse 1, uh, says that God is our refuge and our strength. Catch this, an ever-present help in trouble. You ever thought about that? He's an ever-present help in the trouble. He, he's, I mean, he's right there. He's right there. And so you should find comfort and not frustration in that God is ever-present, that he's right there beside you. I, I would imagine that the president every now and again, you know, would love to go to the beach with his family and have nobody around at all whatsoever. But he's also, I'm sure, fully aware of why it's essential that he has people around to protect him. Likewise, sometimes maybe in our hearts we feel like, oh, it wouldn't be great if nobody knew I could just do this and live this way and nobody would ever know. But he knows and it's for our good, it's for our protection to keep us away uh, from sin and ultimately uh, to keep us from complete and utter uh, destruction. And so with our sin, he sees it. Um, but with that, there's, there's protection and we're, we're covered. Now, 
verses 19 uh, through uh, 22. Can we read that? Under the same, um, same section here, 19 through 22. He says this. David continues and says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Wow. Now, speaking of things that are tough to to swallow, what David is doing here is he's, he's declaring his complete loyalty to God. He's in awe of who God is and God's goodness and, and, and grace and in his confidence in God's protection over him from his enemies who were very real uh, military enemies in, in that day who opposed God. In, in light of all of that, David declares his hatred for the enemies of God. Now, I want to say this. Bear in mind that this is what we call wisdom literature. In other words, this is poetical, right? So earlier when he talks about God going to Sheol, no, he's, he's not going to hell, right? David doesn't go to hell. He's, he's using poetical language here. And so bear that in, in mind. We know that God doesn't call us to hate. In fact, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. But by declaring his hatred, what David is saying is he's saying, I reject those. I do not associate with those who are the enemies of God. He's declaring his loyalty to God. And this tone here really reflects his allegiance to the Lord and his confidence in the fact that God is powerful, that God can protect him, and God can and will ultimately, out of wrath, slay those who are opposed to him. And so, because God knows me, and David's aware of that, God knows me, I'm protected. I'm protected in that, and I can be confident that God is going to be victorious. Now, here's our final, uh, our final implication, and this is a good one, and really good for many of you in this room who I know you love the Lord, and I know that you're growing in your walk with the Lord, but catch this. Since God knows me, I am growing. Since God knows me, uh, I'm growing. Look at the last two verses here, 23 and 24. He's already said that, that God has searched me and has known him. Now he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so, these closing two verses of the psalm, here's what we get. We, we, we see a key element to our spiritual growth. One key element to our spiritual growth is God searching us and, and God uh, knowing us. And so even here you see that, that if those words of, of David where he uses those words of, of hatred in the preceding verses, if those rub you wrong, like they even kind of rub me wrong a little bit here, here we can find a confidence in the fact that God has discernment of David's heart. And God has discernment of our heart, right? That, that God searches us and he, he knows us. And, and listen, these, these two verses are really kind of a key element of our spiritual growth in, in holiness. The key element is that God will assess our hearts. He will search our hearts. And he will lead us in the right direction. He will lead us into greater holiness. And so I think in my own life, there's so many areas of my own life right now that I'm seeking to grow in. There's so many areas of my life that I'm confessing sin to God. And where maybe five, even ten years ago, 
I would have never seen these things that I'm concerned with now as sin. But what I've done is I prayed these two verses as a prayer. God, search me. Know me. Really? You're right, God. Wow, that is, that is kind of ugly. That is kind of offensive. God, that is kind of done out of a lack of faith. And as you pray, God, search me and know me. He says, okay, I'll search you. And he brings to your attention things that maybe you didn't previously see as sin, but you see them now as sin. He, he searches you. He knows you. He continues to search you. He continues to know you. And he continues to show you the areas of your life that are, are grievous. And then he what? He leads you in, in the way ever, everlasting. And, and so the New Testament makes it really clear. Understand that, that when we put our faith in, in Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, right? And then in, in uh, John chapter 16, Jesus says that, that the Spirit will come and he will convict us of sin. And so we're convicted of sin. Why? Because God's called us now uh, temples of, of, of the, the Lord, of the Spirit. And so our bodies as temples of the Spirit God's in us, he knows us, and he's constantly revealing to us areas that we without him wouldn't be convicted of. Do you get that? And so by God knowing us, by God knowing us, we can, we can grow in holiness. And we can really only grow in holiness because God knows us and because God is showing us the areas of, of, our, of our lives. And so I would really challenge all of us here to, to make these last two verses, verses that you pray a whole lot. You pray a whole lot. God, search my heart, know me, show me my sin, and lead me into uh, the way ever, everlasting. And so, I'll close with this. What, what's the situation you're, you're in? We've been thinking through it. And hopefully you can use this content later for other situations that you're going to find yourself in. But the situation that you're in right now, how does God's knowledge of that situation, what, what does that what does that say? How does that impact your situation? For you to understand that God knows what you're going through. What does that, what does that say to your situation? For Christians, we can find a lot of comfort in that. And that God's still on his throne. That God knows what's up. That God's not surprised uh, by this. Or as Hebrews 4.15 says, that, that Jesus himself went through it with us so he can sympathize with our weaknesses, there's a great comfort in that. But God knows. He knows. And your knowledge of his knowledge is really essential. It's essential for your, your journey. Now, for those of you who, who maybe have never given your life to Jesus, you never trusted in Jesus, here's where you need to start. You need to start with number one. You need to start with the fact that you cannot hide from God. That you are naked and exposed and you must give an account for your sin. Now the good news is that God sends his son Jesus to live the life perfectly that we could never live. So that if we trust in him and what he's done, when he says, account for your sin, you say, Jesus. Jesus paid the price for my sin. Now Christian, we're still accountable for our sin to God. But Jesus has paid the price for our sin and so we are cleansed. We are forgiven. We are given new and eternal life. But without Jesus, we are completely accountable for our sin. We are completely with the the eternal consequence of our sin upon us. That is complete and utter destruction, separation from the Lord. 
And so for those of you who don't know Jesus, I would call you tonight to trust in Jesus, to call out to him, and he will hear you, and he will say, I'm yours, and you are mine. And he will adopt you as his child, Scripture says. You are, you are a child of God. He has given you his righteousness for your unrighteousness. He takes his unrighteousness upon himself on the cross as he dies for you. And death has no hold on him. He resurrects to life victorious over Satan, sin, and death so that you can trust him because he's in control. So if you're not a Christian, please, I plead with you. Don't get to the place where you have to give account for your sin. Trust in Jesus. And then for those of you who are Christians, be comforted by the fact that God knows. He knows. Let me pray. God, we love you. We are so thankful that you know. I think back to that that first psalm we looked at, Psalm chapter 1, that you know the righteous. You know the way of the righteous. So God, for those who are seeking to live faithfully for you, but are facing various trials and struggles and situations, even uh, temptations and even falling in sin at times, Lord, thank you that you know. Lord, I pray that their knowledge of your knowledge would be for them great comfort, a great source of their awareness that they are protected. Lord, I pray that they would really rest in that. Lord, thank you that because you know us, you know everything in us, Lord, that we can grow because of that too. And so, Lord, I pray that we as a people would be continually growing in you. You would be continually exposing the grievous way in us so that we might grow in holiness. And God, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, Lord, I know that it is, it is your desire for them to come to know you. And so, Lord, would you stir their hearts, bring about that conviction of your Holy Spirit and lead them into the way everlasting, Lord, that they would trust in Jesus and what he's done. May they really understand their sin. May they really understand that they will be accountable for that. And God, I am always, always burdened by the teaching of Jesus that says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, that he will say, depart, I never knew you. So God, I pray for anyone in this room who maybe even has a false assurance of salvation. That they're living off of some moment in their life that really they, didn't, they were never changed. That they're living off of maybe mustering up their own self-righteousness and calling that conversion and becoming a new creature when it was really them just trying to be better. Lord, I pray that they would know that they know that they know that they know you. That your spirit would testify with their spirit that they are in fact sons and daughters of God. So that none of us would come before you and say, but Lord, I, I said, Lord, Lord, I, I did things for you, right? And you say, depart, I never knew you. I pray that we would know you and be known by you, the kind of 
being known by you, that, that you have, have made us your, your children. You've changed us. Thank you, Lord. May you want to do that. May we respond in faith, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.